Good morning, Lighthouse. Howdy. You guys ready for Thanksgiving coming up? Whoop. All right. Well, if you're ready for a Thanksgiving holiday, well, did you come before the Lord's presence with Thanksgiving in your hearts? Hey. All right. Well, let our mouths reflect what's in our hearts. Let's all stand. Come into his presence.
seated for a sec. Well guys, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, November is already halfway over. I don't know about you, but I'm still trying to finish the month of October. A uh, month has kind of gone by a little quick. But what we're just saying um, for to the Lord was to come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart. And it's straight from Psalm 100. And I'm hoping that, and I pray that that is your attitude when you're coming before the Lord's house this morning. There's a lot of circumstances out there that would seem to make us want to be otherwise coming before the Lord thankful. But here in the passage, I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 17 through 18. Well, beginning at 16, it says, To rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. And here, centering on verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, notice the language at the beginning of that verse. It's not telling you for everything, meaning give for the cause of everything, give thanks, but in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, in everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God, meaning God's desire, God's passion and what he wants in your life, what God wants in your life. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, meaning for you as one of God's children, as a believer in Christ, God's desire, God's plan for you, and God wants you to have an attitude of thanksgiving. Not because everything around me is good, but in every circumstance concerning me, I need to be a thankful person. So someone with that mindset of no matter what happens to me, for good, for better, I can be thankful because of the God who has me. The God I serve, the God I worship, has me and takes care of me. I have salvation, and that's something that can't be taken away. Earthly things pass, but my salvation, something I have in the Lord, is eternal. I have his presence. I have his promises to cling to. You can have joy in him in every circumstance concerning you. And that's only possible in walking and being with our God. There really is no other way. In in, uh, 1 John 1, 9, there's something we can continuously uh, take promise in as well and cling to, and that's our promise of walking in fellowship with him. Well, if walking in fellowship with him, it says walking in the light as he is in the light. Well, 
I don't know about you, I have not walked in the light as Christ has walked in the light, and I can't even measure up, measure up at all. But the key to that passage is understanding what that word confession. It says, and if we confess our sins, it's not about, oh, I just don't sin anymore, I walk perfectly with him. No, if we be real with God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That passage even says, if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. God knows your heart. God declares all men to be sinners. We don't need to play games. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to put up a front. We can be real with God, confessing, forsaking. When we come before and do, God, do wrong, we come before God immediately and say, Lord, I should not have done that. Please forgive me and please help me to do better. So we do that every week in our service because we want you to worship God with, in fellowship with him. And that's the best kind of worship you're going to be able to give him. Matter of fact, it's the only acceptable kind of worship you're going to be able to give him. So we take that opportunity to go to God in our hearts, go and God together in corporate prayer, and recognize and put away our faults, put away our sins, and come to him with a clean and a renewed spirit. So I'm glad you guys came to worship with us this morning. And I had a lot of traveling going on this week for this uh, holiday. But if you are a guest with us or just need something on prayer, please take it on the communication card, fill that out, put the information there. And after the service, we will take that to the Lord in prayer. So please pray with me and join as we continue our service this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you, come before your presence, Lord, come before uh, you in prayer on our knees, Lord, in our position where we truly belong before such a mighty and holy God. And Father, we know this life is rough. We There's patches all over the way. There's, you know, there's corkscrews in the road. Everything uh, just seems to get in the way. But Father, something that we don't have to allow continues standing in our way, Lord, and that's our fellowship with you, Lord, and we can take care of it uh, here and now, Lord, knowing the things that you know, the things that we should not have done that we did, or failing to do the things that we should have done, all of it's sin, and all of it comes and interrupts our fellowship. But Father, as as your children, Lord, as your people, and as your church this morning, we want to cast these things off, and we pray, ask that you forgive us and restore us, because we want to worship you uh, with a true spirit and a renewed spirit. And Father, thank you for being a reason we have to be thankful, Lord. We don't have to worry about the things in the in the world and the junk that just trouble us and. Uh, weigh us down. We can cast that off here in the moment, here and now, and just give you our hearts and bring you um, our voices and our hands, Lord, to worship and serve. So, Father, as we continue this morning, I just pray that we are, our attitudes will be fixed on you, and thank you for, Lord, being the reason and giving us the means to be thankful and to hold that um, in our hearts, and Lord, and in our spirits. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the cross and demonstrating that wonderful gift giving us that wonderful gift that can never be paid and measure, and we can never measure up. We love you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and continue worshiping this morning.
my father's house there's a place for me i'm a child of god yes i seated children second grade and under will be going back to king's kids and i would encourage the third through six uh, this morning to please uh, stay out here and join us for worship for the message Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Hey, it's so good to be up in front of you guys again. I, you know, I look forward to, uh, to Sundays. It, uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's a chance to um, reconnect with my brothers and sisters. You know, one of the, one of the added benefits, uh, you know, um, when the Lord, uh, the Lord found me and when I uh, actually got to be a part of this uh, magnificent thing known as the church, is I got a whole new family, and and every week I get to I get to come in here and I get to see my brothers and sisters, I get to um, I get to spend time with them, and and I get to uh, actually meet with my Lord. You know it uh, it's good to see each one of you. Uh, we got a few uh, a few visitors, and you know it. Uh, uh, we just want you to know that uh, uh, we're blessed to have you um, here in the service. You know, and, and I hope uh, what uh, um, uh, this whole worship uh, service, uh, all the singing, all the praying, the preaching, it's all part of the worship. We, um, we, uh, we uh, literally hope that you're blessed by it, that, uh, um, that you're fed, and you, you'll go away knowing that you've met uh, with the Lord today. Um, so y'all ready for the Word of God? I'm sure ready to, to give it to you. Um, if you would, turn in your books, uh, your Bibles this morning. Um, turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to uh, 
we're going to look at verse 14. Now, we're going to read this entire passage just so that y'all get the, the context and the gist of what's going on. But um, our, uh, our sermon is based around one verse this morning, and it's just uh, Revelation 3.14. Now, we're going a number of places. Um, I, I, you know, I hope you've got, you, uh, um, got your fingers warmed up because um, here we go. And the title of the sermon this morning is, Let Me Introduce You to Our Amen. So Revelation 3.14, Jesus says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest, knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear." And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke, uh, it rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. <clears throat> so there we have it, folks. We have the last of the seven messages that the risen Jesus dictated in 96 AD to the Apostle John as he sat on the prison isle of Patmos. This message is addressed to the church in the first century uh, city of Laodicea. And, and it's actually probably the best known of the seven messages because of Jesus' words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, and these words were immortalized by Holman Hunt's uh, famous painting, uh, painting of Jesus knocking on a closed door and, and with the doorknob on the inside. And you know, uh, Jesus' words here have been used at evangelist crusades, and, and, you know, and, I, and I think appropriately so. But what I want you to understand this morning is Jesus didn't speak these words to the unbelieving or pre-believing world. He first spoke them to his church. They were spoken to believers who thought they had it all together. They were spoken to believers who had become so worldly-minded that they were of very little use spiritually. Behold, I stand at the door and knock is, is spoken to the church. And it's why G. Campbell Morgan, the great British preacher, entitled his sermon on the message to Laodicea, The Church with Christ on the Outside. <clears throat> this last of the seven messages to the church is, is at once, when you read it, um, uh, the hardest hitting and the most inviting. Jesus expresses his displeasure in the most violent terms. And here Jesus offers the greatest blessings imaginable. See, on one hand, he, um, he, he tells them, he says, um, you make me want to vomit. 
I will spew you out of my mouth. On the other hand, he says, overcome, eat with me, and I with you, and you will sit with me on my throne. No greater threat, no greater promise. Now, anyone who's, who's ever sat in my Sunday school class, um, as I'm teaching these letters to the churches in Revelation, has often heard me say to pay close attention to how Jesus describes himself to each of the churches. I'd also add here, as you read through Revelation or even read through the Gospels, um, take and pay attention to how Jesus describes himself and how the author describes himself. Here's why. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. <clears throat> now, while this book has been studied for many things, it is first and foremost the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. It's, where we, it's the word we get um, uh, the English word apocalypse from. Now, to most, uh, to most uh, people, this word apocalypse, it, it brings to mind images of horror and into the world stuff. It, it, it brings to mind images of death and destruction on a ginormous scale. And don't get me wrong, uh, Revelation, as you read through it, has all those blockbuster events in it. But this word apocalypsis simply means unveiling. It means to take the cover off. This book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, we see Jesus as the Lamb of God, the suffering servant who dies on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. In Revelation, we again see the Lamb of God but we also see so much more. We see the risen Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We see Jesus unveiled in all of his glory and again saving the world. See, my, my point is this. If you miss Jesus in the book of Revelation, you've missed the point of the entire book. In fact, from the end of the Amen in the, uh, the entire Bible, if you miss Jesus... You've missed the, point, uh, the entire point of the book. Now, in this last of seven uh, messages, Jesus gives us the clearest statement of who he is and why he has the right to come on as strong as he does to this church. Look back at Revelation 3.14 with me. <clears throat> it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith, the Amen. Notice that Jesus calls himself the Amen. He also calls himself the faithful and true witness in the beginning of creation of God. But see, up to this point in the seven messages, Jesus has introduced himself in terms of what he has or what he does. He's used no titles up to this point except in the message to Thyatira where he refers to himself as the Son of God. In Revelation 2.18, uh, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. 
who hath eyes like unto the flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Now, he, he describes himself that way to Thyatira because those people were calling Apollo, the patron god of the trade guilds, son of Zeus, the high god, and calling the emperor the son of God. So, up to this point, Jesus has not told us who he is, just what he does or has. For instance, to Ephesus. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. To Smyrna, he's the first and the last who is dead and has come to life. To Pergamum, he's the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. To Thyatira, he's the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. To Sardi, he, he is the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To Philadelphia, he is, he is the one who is holy, who is true, and who has the, king of, uh, the key of David. But see, to Laodicea, he tells us who he is. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. <clears throat> he calls himself the Amen. Now, amen's a real familiar word to us. In fact, it's Miss Mary's favorite word. But it is a Hebrew word, and it, it, surprisingly, it's used 152 times in the Bible. It's used in Isaiah 65, 16, where the living God is called the God of Amen. And two times in that passage, he's called the God of Amen. Look at, look at it with me. It says that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. That word truth is the same word we get the word amen from. And he who sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Again, the word amen. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. See, in our day, that word amen seldom means more than a period at the end of a prayer. But in Hebrew thought, saying amen is a way of acknowledging that something is valid and binding. It, 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 when amen is said, they are literally saying, yes, this is valid and it's binding my conscience. Saying amen is, is a way of saying that something is utterly trustworthy that something is, is a foundation upon which to build. Now, isn't that what we've come to understand as we go through basic Bible truths? You know, we can agree that the Bible is true from the beginning to the end. We can agree that we have a sin problem and that God has the only solution to it. We can agree on all aspects of the steps that God took to fix that sin problem. But see, until we come to an amen moment, until we come to a point where we see Jesus as someone utterly trustworthy, someone in whom we can start over, a sure foundation upon which to build, His promises mean very little to us. See, if you miss Jesus... You've missed the, uh, the entire point. 
Is Jesus your amen? Is he a foundation? Is he utterly trustworthy? Is he someone that you can build upon? See, Jesus says he's the amen. He is the utterly trustworthy foundation of life. His word is is, is valid. His word is binding. And as one commentator put it, he is the one in whom perfect conformity to uh, reality is exemplified. See, in, in Jesus, we see the real thing. We don't see a counterfeit. We see the real thing. He is life as life was intended to be. And like the amen, at the end of a prayer, he is the last word, the solid foundation and the rock of ages. Look back at verse 14 with me. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness. See, he also calls himself the faithful and true witness. You know, John calls Jesus this at the beginning of the book in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Look over there with me just a second. Verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And then he goes on, it says, And the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He also uses this title at the end of the book in in chapter 19, verse 11, where John says he sees a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. Look over there with me. See, we're going to read verses 11 through 13, and, and remember, I told you at the start of the sermon to pay attention to how Jesus describes himself and is described. Chapter 19, verse 11, it says, John says, And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. As a side note here, Look back at verse 13. It says that his name is the word of God. You know, in basic Bible truth, our first lesson teaches uh, teaches how we can know that the Bible is true. It also teaches that the Bible is God-breathed and the very word of God. You know, over the years I've heard some people say, Oh yes, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just not so sure about the Bible. You know, it was written by man, and, and you know, and, and I've heard it has errors. <clears throat> and you know what? When I hear that, that's completely fair. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of strange looks right about now. But to me, that is completely fair because what it tells me and what that person has just said to me is that they believe there is a Jesus, but that they don't know him, and they aren't sure at this point whether they can trust him what he says. Word in verse 13 is the Greek word logos. And it means something said, something spoken. See, you cannot separate Jesus from his word. He is the word. The Bible is Jesus speaking to us. If you can't trust the Bible, you can't trust Jesus. 
If you're having this problem, I mean, let us, uh, let us show you, Jesus. And, and let us uh, show you how you can know his word is true. Look back to Revelation 3.14. See, Jesus is the utterly faithful witness to God. Jesus is the true revelation of the Father. As I, was, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story back in um, the book of John. It's in John chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. And it's, uh, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip says unto him, says, Lord, show us the Father, and it, it sufficeth, sufficeth us. And Jesus says unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now, we're talking about the true revelation and the faithful and true witnesses. And in the Greek language, there are two words that are translated true. One is alethes, which means Simply true versus false. The other is alethinos, which means genuine as opposed to an illusion or counterfeit. And in our passage that we're looking at uh, here, it's the second word that Jesus uses. See, what Jesus is telling us is that he is the real and genuine article. He says, what he says about God is exactly true because he exactly represents God. He exactly represents God. Why? Because he is God. You know, there's no greater truth than Jesus Christ. Anybody remember the X-Files? You know, one of the themes of that TV show was that the truth is out there. I got some good news for you this morning. That, uh, that truth that is out there, that truth has come near, and Jesus Christ is it. See, Jesus is absolute faithful and trustworthy, and Jesus is absolute truth. Now look again at verse 14 of our text. It says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. See, Jesus calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. Now, the actual word used here is arche. In the first chapter of Revelation, uh, verse 8, Jesus uses the term concerning himself. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, or Arche, and the end, which is Telos. 
saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, if we go down just a little bit to chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus says, Jesus says this, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first, but he uses a different word. He uses the word protos and last, eschatos. Now, if we go all the way over to chapter 22, Jesus puts them together. And he, in chapter 22, verse 13, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, Arche, the end, Telos, the first, Protos, and the last, Eschatos. Now, i got a question. How many of you have read those verses and thought, you know, Jesus sure repeats himself a lot. You know, and, and I read those verses a lot over the years, and, and I thought to myself, okay, he is the Alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, or the beginning, and he is the Omega, which is the last letter in the Greek alphabet, um, or the end. And look, the verse even explains itself. Wow, he is the beginning and the end, so everything else must be contained in him. And you know what? That's true. That's what I came away with, and, and, and that's true. But it's very, very shallow reading. See, in focusing on the Alpha and Omega, first and last, I missed for years what Jesus was trying to show me, and, and, and it was so much more about himself. Now, before this train completely derails, let me give you a few definitions. We're going to focus on Arche for the, for the purpose of this sermon, but there are four words, as you saw, in these verses that you should be familiar with. The first is Arche. See, Jesus says he is the beginning, the Arche, which means commencement. And then he says he's the Telos. He says he, says he is the end, the telos, which means conclusion. So in verse 1-8, as we, as we looked at it, he tells us that he is the commencement of all things and the conclusion of all things, that he is eternal and he is sovereign. He also uses the word protos. Jesus says that he is the first, the protos, which means that he is foremost in time, place, order, and importance. He also uses the word eschatos. And Jesus says that he is the, when he says he is the last, which means he is the uttermost in time, place, order, and importance. So if we look at verse 22, 13, where he puts this all together, he tells us that not only is, that he, is, is he the commencement and the conclusion of all things, but he is the foremost and uttermost. See, if you look to before the start, there he stands preeminently. If you look to beyond the end, there he is again. See, Jesus is before all, after all, in all, over all, and in control of all things. He is the end because he is the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. But, but as, as, you, as you read through this, I had to ask myself, but what does all that even mean? Let's look at this word arche. 
because it means so much more than simply beginning or commencement. And let's look back, at our, uh, look back at our text again. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or arche of the creation of God. See, yes, arche means beginning, but not just in the sense of first in a sequence. Arche means the, not only the first in the sequence, but also the source of the sequence the originator of the sequence, the archetype of the uh, the sequence. See, uh, Jesus is reminding the Laodiceans and, uh, and us that all of God's creation has its origin and purpose in Him. He is the source. He is the first principle. He is the moving cause of all life. It, uh, uh, he's he's uh, of the uh, it, the moving cause of all life of the of the first creation and of the new creation. I got some strange looks on that one. See, Jesus' resurrection is a cosmic event in every sense of the word. Ever thought about it? Jesus' resurrection is the new beginning of creation. But more on that another time. The great fact of life the apostle celebrates in his letter to the Colossians is this. And the Laodiceans were no doubt very familiar with what Paul declared in Colossae because um, uh, 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 the Laodicea and Colossae were neighboring cities. Laodicea is one of three sister cities in, in uh, in that region and as they were called and they were situated in this rich valley that was nurtured, uh, nurtured, nurtured by the Lycus River. Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossus. Um, Heropolis was six miles across the river, and Colossus was ten miles up the river. Now, we also know from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians that the churches of Colossus uh, and Laodicea shared a close fellowship. They were like sister churches. And Paul speaks to both churches as those for whom he agonizes. And, 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 and he was praying that they might find the fullness of life in Christ. And, and Paul goes a little further and he tells the Colossians to have his letter read to them, um, the, the letter that was read to them, read to the Laodiceans, and he tells them to have his letter to the Laodiceans read to them. Now, In the letter to the Colossians, Paul quotes a hymn that very likely was sung in the Laodicean church. Look at me uh, over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist or hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, 
and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, and by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. See, as we look at that passage, and I'd urge you, I'd urge you go back and look at that again if you get some time. See, all of that that we just read is what Jesus is affirming when he calls himself the arche or the beginning of God's creation. And when you think about it, the implications of his claim, they're absolutely staggering. Here's what I mean by that. In, it means that everything in the universe has the stamp of Jesus on it. From microscopic existence to the far-flung reaches of interstellar space, it all bears the imprint of Jesus, the Arche. See, the personality and way of Jesus are stamped on our nerves, our blood, our tissues, and our organs. The personality and way of Jesus are not merely, merely written in the text of Scripture, but into the texture of our very being. Romans 8 tells us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that destiny is written into every cell of life. Every cell of life works best when it works in harmony with Jesus. And all things are intrinsically made to work in Christ's way. And if they do, when they do, man, they work well. If we were created by Christ, and if we were created for Christ, then guess what? Christ is inescapable. You can't jump out of your skin. If you revolt against Christ, you revolt against yourself. And God has his hook. The pastor says, the pastor told me a long time, says, yeah, you were set up, weren't you? You know, we may run away in short excursions of freedom. But he's right there to reel us back in. The facts are against us. The amen. The faithful and true witness. The arche of God's creation. The foundation, the source, the reason, the revelation, the pattern, the goal of creation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's who Jesus is. Is he all of that to you? Let me leave you with these, these final thoughts this morning. You know, we've heard... All of us have heard the greatest news imaginable, have we not? You know, it, we know what really happened on the first Christmas. We know that the baby in the manger is the Word of God made flesh, the Creator become a creature. We know that on Christmas Eve, God became a human, a human being. And the one who lay in the arms of that teenage girl is the one who effortlessly spoke the galaxies into whirling space. We know what was happening in the career of Jesus of Nazareth. We know that in him a whole new order of existence was breaking into the old. We know that in him the kingdom of God was invading the kingdom of this world. We know what really happened on Good Friday. And why for, uh, why for all the agony and suffering it was... Good Friday. We know that Jesus was not just a good man who was the victim of an unjust legal system. We know that he was the Lamb of God taking upon himself the sin of the world and taking upon himself all the punishment that the sin of the world justly deserves. We know 
that on the cross, Jesus entered into face-to-face -face combat with the powers of evil. We know what really happened three days later on Resurrection Sunday. The powers of evil had been defeated. Death had met someone it couldn't contain. The grave had lost its sting. We know that the standing outside the tomb was the first, the first fruits, the prototype of the new humanity. We know that the first Sunday morning was the first morning of a new creation. We know that the door to eternal life had been opened wide and that Jesus himself is the door. We know what really happened on Pentecost Sunday. We know that on that day, the risen Lord poured out His Spirit, filling His followers with His very life. Rivers of living water are now available to anybody that will come to Him and drink. We know that right now, the resurrected one sits enthroned in the control center of the universe, and He's reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know that any day, he is going to come again and bring everything to consummation. We know that any day He's going to break through from behind the veil of hiddenness and be revealed to all the world. We know all that and more. Is Jesus your amen? Have you been changed? Are His fingerprints all over you? If so you definitely have something to be thankful for this coming Thursday. If so, you've been blessed with a witness and news worth shouting from the mountaintops. Now, everyone we know has a right to know what you know. Look around you. Look on the news. The world is in turmoil. The world's on fire. Chess pieces are being moved. And lines concerning our allegiance are being drawn in the sand. Our children have believed a lie and they're protesting in local schools and college campuses. You are in possession of the greatest news in the history of the universe. Go and bless somebody with it this week. Pastor. When I first got saved, I didn't know what it meant to say amen, didn't know what it was about. You know what I was told? I was told that when you say amen, it means I agree and I'll pay my share of the expenses. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. I'll get it later. It still works. I agree and I'll pay my share of the expenses. What Ray said, uh, the beginning is that, that Greek word, arche. I'm a, I'm a builder. Builders know some things about arche. We get a word from that. The word is architect. It means he's the designer. Jesus is the architect. It begins with the design. You don't, you don't start driving nails until you have it designed. Begins with the design. Some of you are going through some hard times right now. 
And you need to understand that what you're going through is what Jesus designed for your life. He designed this. You say, oh, I can't believe that. How Jesus wouldn't. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. And we need to be thankful that he is our designer. He not only made us how we're made and all these things. We know all that. He's creator. Before, before he created us, he designed us. He, he created us according to his design, which was first. Some of you are going through some hurt right now. But you, can, you, need to, you need to not be fooled by the appearance of outward things, outward appearance. You need to skip on to what he says about how the design works. If you love him, and if you're saved, you're one of the called according to his purpose, then you could skip right on over to what's going to happen because of what you're going through. All things work together for good to those that are in the middle of being produced according to his design, to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. I, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you feel like. It's going to turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you because he's the designer. And you need to tell Satan to take a hike. You're going to praise God anyway because you know how it's going to turn out. He said, he said he not only designed us and not only created us, but the good work that he's begun in us, he's going to finish. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of all of them. Matter of fact, you can cancel all the rest of them and give me Thanksgiving in their place and I'll take them all. I, I have such a gratitude for what God has not only done in my life, but what he's continuing to do. He's doing things in, in my life. He's doing things in Lisa's life. He's doing things in the lives of our kids and our grandkids. And it's just, a, it's just an amazement to watch it take place. He's something, folks. You, want, you, want, you come for something good today, Jesus is that something good. And he never goes away. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always right there with us no matter what we're going through. So you just go ahead and start praising him now. That's why the Bible says that we're to rejoice in everything. Justin had to preach about that a little bit earlier this morning. Rejoice in everything. Now I know that's hard. This week... Our household has turned a corner to better things. But man, last week, I thought I was going to jail for sure. Jesus was being called on, and it's like he wasn't listening. It's like he wasn't there. I never heard anybody scream in pain so loud as I heard Lisa scream and scream and scream, begging for some relief. And I couldn't do a thing. It was hard. It's hard when you're in the middle of something like that to 
to know that it's going to be, turn out great. It's going to be, it's going to, the Lord's going to make something good out of it. We're past that part now. And we're kind of celebrating that we're past that part now. I'll tell you, life is, uh, life's a challenge. But man, what it would be like to go through it without Jesus. How does, any, how does a lost person even survive long enough to get saved? I, I just can't hardly, I just can't hardly get my head around that sometimes. I'm thankful for Jesus. And I'm thankful that he is my amen. Somebody says it means so be it. Well, so be it. That's all good. Who is he to you? Is he your everything? Your so be it? The stand. The arcade, the designer. The telos, the completer. The one who finishes what he starts. And if he started something in you, he's going to finish what he started. And he is worthy. Oh my, he is so worthy. As we sing. Thank you for the cross, Lord.